full of a house as we can have. Um, so let's stand and um, sing to Jesus together. Our first song is Hope of the Nations. <clears throat> and then the rest of our songs deal with um, being a part of the family of God and what, what that means.
just have to grab some water. I've got a dry spot in my throat. Thank you for your singing. I know you're not supposed to do this, but I think you can hear. <laughs> it's hard to keep track of. Let's open our bulletin this morning and read the call to worship. We have thought on the loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple, as thy name, O God, as is thy name, O God, so is thy praise to the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let's bow in opening prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being able to be here this morning, and we also pray for those that can't be 
all around our country and different places. Um, we just know that you have your hand in all of this and we need to trust you for that. We just pray it as we open our hearts this morning to listen to your word and song and in, in the message that's here. We just uh, thank you for being having the freedom to continue to do that. I ask your blessing upon this for service. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you kids who are here this morning, you get to witness a historical event. This will be the last stump the pastor. <laughs> the last stump the pastor. If you read the back of your bulletin, I wrote a little thing about it, so that will explain why, <laughs> why that's happening. We're going to do a bit of a change, but anyway, we've got two things in here. Take them both out. Oh, three things. Oh. like a thing from the bottom of a chair leg. Do we need one of these at home, dear? I think. <laughs> so, kids, which one would you like me to work with today, this morning? Which of those three? Caden. What? You want to go with a snake? Okay. Anybody, anybody here put these things in there? Nobody's claiming responsibility for that. <laughs> okay, the snake. What is the lesson from the snake? You ever use one of these to scare your mom or your dad? You tried? <laughs> Eve. 
and to, to convince her that God really didn't want her to eat the fruit because he knew that if she did, then she would be like God. And God didn't want that. So that's why. So he put those doubts in Eve's mind. And so that was the whole thing. But <clears throat> throughout the Bible, the snake or the serpent and Satan are kind of equated. And it says Satan is like a roaring lion in another place. He's always around looking for somebody to get. Sometimes he's like a snake. And he, uh, he kind of slithers around and, and is sneaky and all that kind of thing. The point of that, that we need to take from this is that you never know when Satan can come and tempt you. You never know when, when he could be around or just around the corner or just there when all of a sudden he'll just come with a temptation. Totally out of the blue. You have no idea he's there and you have no idea of what's going on. And, uh, and sometimes it's not Satan tempting you. Sometimes it's just your own sinful nature that's tempting you. But sometimes it is Satan. But he's always sneaky and he's looking to pounce the Bible says, looking to pound, looking to seize and to devour. So that means that if you're a Christian, so kids listen up, if you're a Christian, you need to be careful. Because sometimes those temptations come, and you have no idea where they're coming from, you're not prepared for it, they come out of the blue, and sometimes they get you, and you cause you to fall into sin. And uh, sometimes it's just with a desire, you really, really want something really, really bad. You know it's not quite right, but you really want it, so... Satan then comes and tries to help you to figure out a way to make it seem like it's okay when it's really not. Uh, so just be careful. That's the lesson. Just be careful. Because know that at any time those temptations could come. At any time. That's what I got from the snake. Be careful. So when you play with a snake or look at a snake, yeah, they're fine. They're, they're, they're just a, a reptile. But... Think about Satan and how he can slither around and tempt you when you're not expecting it. Okay, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, I just ask that you would help us all, Lord, to remember the lesson from the snake. Uh, Lord, adults and children alike, we all need to hear this. And help us, Lord, to be on our guard so that uh, we can be prepared if and when Satan comes with those temptations. Help each kid here, Lord, to learn those lessons and grow up to be strong men and women of God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody put the snake in the stump? Anybody here put the snake in the stump? Nobody put the snake in the stump? Boy, it's amazing how that stuff gets in there and nobody puts it in. Anyway, <laughs> Mark. I can see how terribly unkept I am. One benefit having the mask. That's the only benefit in my mind is... I get to run around all shaggy-like, but anyways, I'm reading uh, scripture reading this morning. I'm on uh, 48, Genesis 48, all of it, uh, so bear with me as I get through it. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill, so he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came there will be reckoned as mine, Ephraim and Manasseh, 
or Manasseh, will be mine, just as Reuben and Simon are mine. Any children born to you after them will be yours. In the territory they will inhabit or inherit will be reckoned under their names of their brothers. As I was returning from Patton, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. This is Bethlehem. When Israel saw the son of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the son God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraz, or Ephraim on his right towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh on his left towards Israel's right hand and brought them close to him. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head. Though he was the younger and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's or on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my father, Abraham and Isaac. And may they increase greatly on the earth. When Joseph saw his father placing his right hand on Ephraim's head, he was displeased. So he took hold of his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to him, No, my father, this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a people, and he too will become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he and his descendants will become a group of nations. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh, or Manasseh. So he put Ephraim's head or ahead of Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, I am about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you I give one more ridge of land then your brothers, the ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. I, I did manage to get through it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mark. That's just ask God's blessing as we look into this passage. Lord God, we want to thank you that your word to us is always relevant and it always speaks to us and every part of it speaks to us. So Lord, as we go through this passage, help us to understand what you're saying and more importantly, help us to understand what it is that you want us to learn from it and what it, how it applies to us in our, in our uh, situation that we find ourselves in here today. So Lord, help me to speak it as it needs to be spoken and may we all be open to what you are saying. Pray this in your name. Amen. 
I came across a story that I, I found kind of amusing. And I think he had made a point. Uh, his father had a daughter who was in grade two. And her second grade class was asked to write about their personal heroes. And this girl chose to write about her father. And so the father was, of course, quite flattered about that and asked the young girl why she chose him. And she replied, because I couldn't spell Arnold Schwarzenegger. So the subtle point I see coming out of this is fathers and fatherhood in our society do not get the respect that they should. Uh, when you look at how fathers are, be, are uh, portrayed in, say, comedy routines or in the sitcoms that were popular a few years back, uh, you don't see them portrayed as people that children or anyone would really want to look up to or really want to emulate. And likely fathers themselves over the years are the most to blame. Bad fathers have been many in our society over the years. And the damage done to their families and their children is huge. And yet God designed the family unit to function with the husband and father being the head of the home. To be a man of God, first of all, strong and mature in his faith and in his walk with God, and out of that strength to lead his family, that's how God designed it. And by God's command then, out of that, the children are to look up to and respect and honor their fathers. The family unit is the basic building block of any society, and I believe that we are seeing our society crumble as families become more and more dysfunctional. The family unit is not respected. Parents are not respected. Fathers aren't respected. And put it all together, the family unit is not considered important in our society. But that's not how it should be. As you read through the pages of Scripture, you see the family unit presented in the Scriptures as a vital part of life, of the life of any society. We're coming to the end of our story and our study of the book of Genesis, three sermons left, including today. And from chapter 15 on in Genesis, we've seen the story, see that the story has been about, about one extended family, beginning with Abraham and Sarah and their children, and then going on to Isaac and Rebekah and their children, and then to their son Isaac, uh, Jacob and his family. And we've seen how God made a covenant with Abraham that was passed on to his son Isaac, and then to his son Jacob, and then to all of Jacob's descendants. This extended family is key to the book of Genesis, and is key to, or key from, to the book of Genesis from about chapter 15 on, and it's, uh, it's, it's the covenant that God made with them. That covenant is key to understanding history, and then it's key to understanding how God's plan of salvation is being unfolded. Now this family that we're talking about from Abraham on, we're now into the third generation, this family in many ways could be called a dysfunctional family. A lot of things went on that were not right. We've seen it as we've gone through it. They were contrary to God's commands and they were contrary to God's teaching on the family. And yet God continued to work through this family. And I think, again, just underscoring the importance of the family to God's design. 
As we're nearing the end of the book, we see in the last three chapters some last words. First, we have Jacob's last words to his sons. Jacob's last words to his sons, and then chapter 50, we'll get to it as Joseph's last words to his brothers. But today we're looking at chapter 48, which are Jacob's last words to his son Joseph and to Joseph's two sons. It is, in essence, a father's blessing to his son Joseph and to his grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Again, we see from Scripture that a father's blessing on his sons is a very important thing. We saw that, for example, in Isaac blessing Jacob over Esau. Remember, we went through that story and how Jacob managed to get the blessing and deceived his father into getting the blessing. That blessing was very important. A father's blessing on the children is very important. And then we saw Esau's tears of frustration when he realized that he had been duped out of the blessing. And, and the, the problem that caused, that just underscores the importance of the father's blessing on his family. I think there's something significant to this. A father's blessing on his children is very important and significant. And that's what we have here in chapter 48. Let's quickly go through the text of the chapter and then we'll apply it. We've been out of this Genesis series since December the 6th. We took a break for the Christmas season. So to remind us of the context, Joseph has reconciled with his brothers and all of them with their whole families along with their father Jacob have moved to Egypt so they could be provided for through this famine. And when they moved, when they make that move to Egypt, there was about five years left in the seven-year worldwide famine that God had beforehand revealed to Joseph. In chapter 47, which we looked at last time on December 6th, we saw how Joseph, in his position as second in command under only Pharaoh himself, how he provided for the nation during this famine. And he could do that. Because God had revealed to him that there would be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph had prepared the entire nation for this by storing up vast amounts of grain during the seven good years against, of course, the seven years of famine that were to come. And chapter 47 tells the story of Joseph providing food to the nation of Egypt during the last seven years of the famine as those years unfolded. So we look at that, at that on December the 6th. So that brings us today to chapter 48, our chapter for this morning. Jacob, the father is getting on in years. He doesn't have much time left. And word came to Joseph. He's, of course, not living with his family in Goshen. He's off in the capital because he's one of the rulers in government. Word came to Joseph that his father Jacob was not well, and he may not have long left, long to live. And when Joseph heard this, he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and went to see his father. So Joseph arrived with his two sons at the house of Jacob. Someone went in and told Jacob that Joseph had come. And Jacob must have been quite weak, as it says, Israel collected his strength and sat up in bed. Sounds like it was all he could do to sit up in his bed. And Joseph and his sons went in to see him. And Jacob started talking. And he went back in history a bit. And there's a point to that. He was reminding Joseph and Joseph's sons of something important. And he said, long ago in Luz, that was where the town of Bethel, right close there, was founded. That's where Jacob had that dream of the ladder into heaven and the angels going down, up and down. Long ago in Luz, in the land of the Canaan, God Almighty appeared to me and blessed me. And 
Jacob went on to say that God told him that he would make him fruitful and numerous, would make him a company of peoples, and would give this land to his descendants after him as an everlasting possession. So this is a reminder to Joseph and, the, and Joseph's sons of the covenant that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and then to Jacob and to all of Jacob's descendants. Now Joseph, I'm sure, would have known this. But Jacob's reminding him. And, and Jacob's sons, telling them about this. And then Jacob came up with a surprise. He said to Joseph, now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to Egypt, uh, they're mine. <laughs> Jacob is adopting Manasseh and Ephraim as his own sons. And they are to be reckoned as Jacob's sons in the inheritance. And this is significant, as we'll see in a bit. But Joseph's two sons are to be reckoned as Jacob's sons. Joseph's other children, born after them, would be considered Joseph's, but not the first two. They're Jacob's. And then, speaking of Joseph and his sons, seems to remind Jacob of Joseph's mother, Rachel. And Jacob reminisces there a bit in verse 7. His beloved wife, Rachel, the girl that he fell in love with when he first went to his uncle Laban, the one that he worked seven years for, and then he got duped into marrying her sister first, so he worked another seven years, and all that. I thought you remember the story. Rachel was a woman he was in love with. She died in Canaan on Jacob's journey back from Uncle Laban up in Paddan. So she was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is now known as Bethlehem. So he just kind of reminisced about Rachel for a bit. Then Jacob turned his attention to the two boys that were there with Joseph. Jacob, remember, is pretty much blind by this time. Verse 10 tells us that. So he asks, who are these boys? And Joseph replies, they are his sons. So Jacob asks them to come closer to him. And he embraces them and again expresses God's thankfulness for God's goodness. And said to Joseph, you know, Joseph, I never expected to see your face again. And now God has allowed me to see not only you, but also to see your children. God is so good. And Jacob had a blessing for them, which proves to be interesting as well. As you look at verse 14 and following. Joseph arranged his sons in front of Jacob, so then when Jacob placed his hands on their heads, his right hand would be on Manasseh, the oldest, and his left hand would be on Ephraim, the younger one. And that was significant because the one under the right hand got the favored blessing, that was normally reserved for the oldest, the firstborn. Uh, the firstborn normally got a double blessing and inheritance. And so that's how significant. So Joseph arranged the boys in that way so that when Jacob put his hands on their heads, that's how it would be. So they're waiting for Jacob to lay his hands on them and bless them. But Jacob does something strange. He crosses his arms so that his right hand is now on Ephraim and his left hand is on Manasseh. And he starts the blessing, verse 15 and 16. He calls upon his God, who had been his shepherd all his life, who had redeemed him from all evil, to bless the lads. And that the names of Abraham and Isaac would carry on in them, and that they would grow to be a big family on the earth. But before he could go any further, Jacob st or Joseph stops him. He took Jacob's hands and placed them back <laughs> where he thought they belonged, saying, Dad, Dad, you're mistaken. This is the oldest. That's the younger one. And Jacob, though, knew what he was doing. 
He said, I know, I know. Manasseh will become a great people, but Ephraim will be greater than Manasseh. And thus Ephraim got the preferred blessing usually reserved for the firstborn, verse 20 tells us. Jacob then turns his attention back to Joseph and said, I'm about to die, but God is with you, and he will bring you back to the land of Canaan. And I give you and your descendants one portion more of the promised land than your brothers. And so here we get the effect, or a hint of the effect of Jacob adopting Joseph's two sons on the inheritance. Joseph's descendants down the road would get two portions of the promised land, whereas the other sons of Jacob only got one. Because Jacob adopted Joseph's two sons, Joseph then got two portions through his two sons. It ends with that... Um, piece of land that I took from the Amorite with my sword and the bow. Uh, nobody's quite sure exactly what that talks about. That's probably an incident that never was recorded in the scripture. Uh, but at any rate, a original land or a piece of land um, that was to be uh, Joseph's along with his other portion. So that's the story of Genesis chapter 48. And as I said, there are some things here that are significant to us today. So let's go back and scrutinize them a little more carefully, this time with an eye to how this applies in the area of family blessings. As Christians, we need to take our Christian family experience seriously. And it will help us to do that by looking at the aspects of the family blessings in Genesis chapter 48. So the first thing about the first aspect of this blessing I see is a significant reminder. A significant reminder. I find it significant that Jacob, in verse 3, took the time to go back and remind Joseph and his sons about their roots. Remember that Joseph has been in Egypt now for about 30 years. He came to Egypt when he was 17 and sold as a slave. And do you remember the story of how he was a slave and rose a bit in, in regard and prominence and reputation, and but then his wife, uh, his master's wife falsely accused him. He was thrown in jail and was in jail for a number of years, many years, and and then he interpreted Pharaoh's dream and so on. You all know the story. So he was 17 when he came to Egypt. Now I'm sure he has memories of Canaan. I'm sure he has memories of living there, but that was long ago. A lot had happened since then. As I said, he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. That resulted in Pharaoh making Joseph second in command over the entire nation of Egypt. And Pharaoh put him in charge of managing the seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so now, for all intents and purposes, by now, Joseph is Egyptian. Uh, even more so, Joseph's sons. They were half Egyptian. Their mother was full-blood Egyptian. They've never seen the land of Canaan. So Jacob thinks it's necessary to remind them of their roots. So he speaks of the covenant to remind them of God's plan for them and for their descendants. God made a covenant with Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, that would make of Abraham, or he would make of Abraham a great nation, that his descendants would be like the sand of the seashore, and they would possess the land of Canaan as their homeland. Later God reiterated that same covenant to Jacob to Jacob's father Isaac. And then later he reiterated again to Jacob himself as he tells the story there in the first few verses of chapter 48. 
And now Jacob is reminding Joseph and his sons about that, saying, don't forget about God's plans for you. They don't include Egypt. Don't forget that. Their family is special, Jacob, in effect, is saying, in the sense that they are God's chosen people and will have a special place in the world forever after because it is through the nation that their family will become that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That promise was part of the covenant. They are to never forget that. Jacob is reminding Joseph and his sons about that. And in this reminder comes very clearly implied that they are to live worthy of that blessing. Don't let the family down. Carry on the family in accordance with God's covenant. I don't know if family pride is something that means a whole lot to you or if it's significant to you to carry on the family name far as your physically, physical family is concerned. It wasn't really to me until the summer of 1976 when I attended a Gerbrandt reunion. This reunion included all the descendants of my great-grandfather who came to Canada in 1903 with his young wife and two little children, the younger one being my grandfather. There were a lot of us there for that three-day reunion. I think it was close to 200. Uh, Great-grandfather and great-grandmother had, in total, 12 children. And a lot of them had fairly big families as well. So there's a lot of us there. A lot of us came up from, or a lot of the relatives came up from the United States. Uh, a lot of them had moved there. Great-grandfather had settled in the Herbert area, but after a few years, he had moved down to California. And uh, he left only the oldest two, I think. My grandfather, one of them, who had already married and taken a homestead in the Herbert area. My great-grandfather moved with the rest of the family down to California. So a lot of my relatives are in the States. And a lot of them came up for this reunion. I'd never seen them before, never met them before. And I learned a lot about our family history in those three days, and that reunion back in 1976. Things I've never forgotten. And I've told this story to you as a church family in pieces <laughs> before. But back in Russia, great-grandfather came from a very large family, and they were a very poor family. Mennonite people uh, in this Sommerfelder tradition of Mennonites, uh, not very well known. There's a lot of, when you talk about the older colony of Mennonites, there's a lot of different branches and so on. Um, but that was the background of Sommerfelder uh, tradition of the Mennonites, which very much emphasized works and culture, and faith in works and culture, and being saved by grace through faith alone. That was not something that was taught. Um, at any rate, great-grandfather's parents could not afford to raise all their children. And so some of them, including my great-grandfather, were raised, actually, by the local Mennonite brethren, a minister, and they did preach the gospel. Unless they were given a Christian upbringing and heard the gospel, and they accepted the Lord. My great-grandfather married a Christian girl, and as I said, a few years later, emigrated to Canada with two little children. There were hard times for them. 
getting settled. With babies just keeping on coming, it seems like. Many children to raise, and it was hard, hard years. And I heard the story back then of how great-granddad prayed many times to the Lord to give him strength and wisdom to raise his family. And when I heard that, I, I was amazed at the ways of God. How was it that my great-grandfather was privileged to be raised by a godly minister and receive the blessing of a Christian upbringing and hear about the salvation story and God's grace being bestowed as we place our faith in him? How was it that my great-grandfather was privileged to be the one to hear that? And it humbled me. And God truly has blessed the Gerbrand family over the years. Of the 200 or so that were there, there was only a very, very small handful that were not living for God. A number of them were pastors. A number were involved in full-time Christian service of some type. At least one family is on the mission field. Also at this reunion were two or three descendants of great-grandfather's brother. This brother had been raised by his own parents in the Sommerfelder tradition. They never heard about a personal commitment or a relationship with Jesus Christ. This brother, apparently, from what we heard <laughs> on Sundays, he cared more about fishing and smoking his pipe than he did about church and the things of God. And of that brother's descendants, there was only a very, very few that you could call true Christians. From that time on, family history and family pride has meant something to me. Just thinking about my roots reminds me of God's blessing. And God's grace to our family. And it also says to me quietly but very clearly that I have a responsibility to live up to what the family stands for. But you know, significant as that has become to me, even more significant, even more significant than that, is the family of God that every Christian belongs to. Our spiritual family, the one that we were adopted into when we repented of our sin and placed our faith in Jesus Christ, as our Savior, that spiritual family. I think we as Christians should be even more proud of our spiritual family that we are a part of. And perhaps we need today to be reminded of our roots in our spiritual family. Take a turn, please, to Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1. Well, let's read. Verses, one, verses uh, 3, 3 through 23. Fairly, fairly lengthy, but let's just read it. This is our spiritual heritage. This is what our spiritual family is about. This is, these are our roots in our spiritual family. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed 
in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we have also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him all you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention to you of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only of this age but in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fulfillness, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That, friends, is what our spiritual family is all about. Those are the blessings and the privileges that are ours as Christians. By the grace of God, these things are ours and have been since the minute that we accepted Christ as Savior. We belong to a great family with a great future. Remember that. Remember your roots. Remember God's covenant with you. And God's plan for you. We need to hear this significant reminder. Live the life that the family, our Christian family, the head of our family, Jesus Christ, live the life that he stands for. That's what our family is about. Don't lose sight of that. Significant reminder. Secondly, an unexpected reward. An unexpected reward. In our story, we saw Jacob do some unusual things. First, in verse 5, we see Jacob adopting Joseph's sons as his own. That was significant. And that was just as much an unexpected reward for Joseph as it was for Joseph's kids. And as I said, in that time, in that culture, the oldest son normally got the birthright. That meant he was highest in rank next to his father. So when the father passed on, he had authority over, his, over the family, the brothers and sisters, and the extended family, whoever they were, and he would become the head of the family. Also meant that he inherited twice as much as the others. He did that so he could provide for his family. Well, Reuben was Jacob's oldest son. But he didn't receive the birthright. Instead, Joseph did. That's what's taking place here. Jacob is giving Joseph the birthright and not Reuben. Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Sheds a little light here on what's going on. First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 
Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he is not enrolled in the genealogy according to the birthright. Though Judah prevailed over his brothers, yet from him and from him came their leader, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph. So because of Reuben's sin of incest, remember that story? That was back in Genesis 35, verse 22. He didn't get the birthright. And we can infer that because of Joseph's godliness and faithfulness, he does receive the birthright. And he was the oldest son of, remember, Joseph was the oldest son of Rachel's children. Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. Joseph was the oldest son of her. So now Joseph, because he has the birthright, gets the double inheritance. And that is why Jacob is adopting Joseph's two sons. Joseph will now be the father of two tribes in Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph's brothers are each just the head of one tribe. Joseph now becomes the head of two tribes. So Joseph gets an unexpected reward here, an unexpected blessing. He receives the birthright, and his sons are elevated to the position of Joseph and his brothers. Friends, God rewards faithfulness. Not always in the same way or at the same time. Sometimes it comes years later. Sometimes it only comes in eternity. But to his faithful children, they may at times, he may at times come up with these unexpected blessings or rewards. And this is a motivation for us to live a life faithful to our Father. God our Father. And then thirdly and finally, our future responsibility. Verse 15. Jacob called the minds of Joseph and his sons to God and his attributes. He called God his shepherd. Verse 16, he calls him his redeemer. Going on in verse 16, Jacob utters these words, speaking of Joseph's sons. May my name live on in them and the names of my father, Abraham and Isaac. And in these words are the implication that the responsibility was now theirs to carry on the family name. To remember that they are God's chosen people because they are from God's chosen family. God, by his grace, had chosen them and had given them the great promises of the covenant, a possession of the land of Canaan, a great number of descendants, that through them all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Indeed, that was a high calling. Jacob is saying, may my name and the name of Abraham and Isaac live on in you, boys. Carry on the family name. It's a high calling. Jacob is asking that they be true to their calling. That no matter what, they would remember that they are God's chosen people, that God is their Lord Jehovah, and they are to live by faith in him. And back to our family reunion. At that reunion, the comment was made that we truly are blessed to have so many Christians in the family, that God had truly blessed this family. And then someone made the comment that said, he said, or she, I think it was a he, can't remember now, but the comment was made, it only takes one generation to turn the whole family into non-Christians. just takes one generation. And that spoke to me. And I, remember, I remember thinking, it's not going to be me that will help turn the family into non-Christians. I'll do my part. 
Friend, think again of our spiritual family. The family of God we as Christians are adopted into. And the same holds true. It would take only one or two generations to wipe out the Christian family from our society. One or two generations of people who say, I don't want to live for the Lord, I want to live for myself. One or two generations of people who ignore the teachings of Scripture and the things of God. One or two generations who fail to realize the significance of the claims of Jesus Christ on their lives. One or two generations who reject Christ and the Christian family is wiped out of a particular society. Think about it. We as Christians have a responsibility for the future if we want Christianity, if we want our Christian family to continue on on the face of the earth. We have a responsibility to live out what the Christian family stands for, to stand firm for our Father, for the head of our family, Jesus Christ, to live what he wants us to do, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, teach our children. We have a responsibility to live out what the Christian family stands for. How are you doing, friend? Christianity is declining in our society. Are we contributing to the decline? Or are we, by the grace of God, using our lives to carry on the Christian name? Are you fulfilling the responsibility every Christian has? So therefore, this morning we see that we need to take our Christian family experience and the Christian family name seriously. Because of our roots and our blessings, because of the rewards from God that for faithfulness and because of our responsibility for the future. There is great reason to be proud of being part of the family of God and in receiving the blessing from our Father, God Almighty. And I challenge each one of us to live it. To live it. Live in such a way that it is consistent with what the family of God stands for. Some of you have not been blessed as I have by having rich Christian heritage in your physical family background. Some of you have not been blessed to have that kind of heritage. And maybe the challenge for you this morning is to be a chain breaker for your family. Set your family from now on on a course of knowing God and walking with God. Like my great-grandfather was for our family. I want to say a word to the teens here in closing. Got some teens here. Do you know that the 10-year period from age 16 to 26 is the time period when most major decisions in life are made? that will set your course for the rest of your life. It's in those 10 years, from the age 16 to 26, generally speaking, that you decide your career path, you decide where to settle down and make a home, you decide whom you're going to marry, you decide if you're going to live according to the values of the world around you or according to the values of God and His Word. Make those decisions. Some of you are right on the brink of that 10-year period. Think about this. That family reunion that I went to in 1976, I 
made that commitment to stay true to my Christian heritage. A father's blessing. That's what we have here in chapter 48 of Genesis. A father's blessing coming down in the form of a reminder and an unexpected reward and a future responsibility. And our father, our God, God our father, is saying this to us. How do we respond? Let's take a moment of silence. I encourage you all just to open your heart and listen to what God is saying to you this morning. What's the word for me here this morning? I'll give you a few moments. Let's stand and sing together. The song that we chose is How Good It Is um, When the Family of God Dwells Together in Spirit.
church to arise. Servant, good and faithful. 
outstanding glory. Thank you for your singing. in prayer time. Anyone have anything you'd like to praise God for us, or maybe something you would like to request prayer for from your church family? Let's bow our prayer. Our God, how I thank you that you will be, or that you are here with us, and you live in your word, and you live in the praises of your people, and you are here with us, and you are very attentive to the worship we're extending to you very attentive to the thoughts and the burdens of our hearts as we express them to each other and to you. And we do express them to you, Lord. You told us to make our requests known to you. That's what we're doing here. And we just ask, Lord, that you would guide us, direct us, as we face some of the things that we're facing in our lives. And Lord, be with those that we're concerned about, that our hearts are burdened for. Our shells probably can't do a whole lot about, but Lord, you can. So we leave them in your hands, asking you, Lord, to do the work you need to do. Yeah. So Lord, along with what has been said here this morning, pray for our fathers. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you that you have, in this church family, uh, you have seen fit to bring some key men to walking with you and following you and to being that chain breaker in their family. Thank you for that. Lord, have your hand on them and all the fathers, all of us, even those who have a rich heritage. Lord, it's, it's, we can fall from that so quickly. And help us, Lord, to be the fathers we need to be, to stand strong for you, to live for you, to teach our kids the truth, and to exemplify how to live out the truth before them. Lord, be with our fathers. Be with our, ki our kids, our children. Lord, as Mothers and fathers seek to live for you and walk with you and be the example. Pray that the kids would see that and would exemplify that and want to take that on themselves and be that kind of person for themselves. Lord, we got uh, children in this church that you blessed us with. We thank you for each one of them. They've all been a blessing. Yet, Lord, as they grow up, they will face decisions, and I pray you'd help them in the decisions that they make. That they would choose to walk with you, choose to live for you. Choose to value what you value and take your values on themselves and live out those values in their lives. So, Lord, we pray for our children. We pray for single parents, single moms. Lord, that's a hard road to hope. And I, my hats go off to them so many times. It's so difficult. Lord, be close to them and help them. You know, they seek to be both parents to their kids. Not the way you design it. That's kind of what has happened in this simple world. Uh, Lord, I, I really pray that you give them the grace to walk that road. And we know you can work. You are great and mighty and powerful, and you have worked. And you have caused single moms, single dads to be great parents, and children have chosen to walk with you even in that situation. We thank you that you are great enough to do that. And Lord, I pray for those single parents that you would just give them your grace this morning and touch them with your power steadfastness and your faithfulness that they can be steadfast and faithful in raising their children for you. I want to pray for our camp, Lord. Uh, thank you for the
the ministry of our Bible camp that we could minister to a lot of the kids that are just in this age of making some key decisions that will affect them for the rest of their lives. And Lord, I pray you'd help the camp to minister in such a way that these kids would be open to the truth of what this is and will we'll choose to walk with you. Thank you for Brett. Thank you, Lord, for the miracle boy that he is, how, Lord, you spared his life when he was an infant as he struggled through cancer, and you brought him through that. And he's here today, 15 years old, yesterday. Thank you, Lord, for the years you've given him. May your hand continue to be upon him. May you take him, Lord, and do great things through him and with him. And bless him, we pray. And he choose, as he gets on and older and starts making some key decisions about life, Thank you, Lord, for her answered prayer regarding Gloria's mom that she was transferred to the nursing home of their choice. And thank you for that. And I just pray that she would be able to settle in there. And even with her mind getting a little more confused all the time, that uh, she would just find it a, a homey place, a place where she could feel at home. And uh, I just pray you grant her a good experience there. But for Melissa, I just continue to pray for her. Thank you, Lord. She got moved there successfully. And I pray that you would help her. She starts a new job. That will be a good fit for her. She'd do well at it. Fit into and be a, a good thing in her life. So keep your hand upon her and keep her walking close to you until we pray. Lord, I want to pray for our church family who's not with us this morning and is not able to all be here at the same time, and that, that hurts. But, uh, Lord God, how I pray you be with each one of them. Grant them your blessing. May your hand be upon them. May they continue to walk with you. May they continue to lead their family to walk with you, even though they are not able to be. Have a church, maybe even their own home. And uh, Lord, just give them guidance and direction in that. And Lord, how I pray that uh, sometime soon, very soon, Lord, you'd uh, bring this pandemic to an end and you'd ease the restrictions and help us to be able to get back to church as it should be. Lord, thanks for being with us here today. And uh, just lay all these things in your hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Larry. We've, uh, maybe this makes my ears look funny, so you can laugh if you want. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. We need to uh, remember uh, our offerings, even though we can't pass the plate around and so on. We do still have that over there. And um, I found out a few things about that this week, but if you need to know more about how to do the e-transference and all that stuff, ask June. Um, let's just bow for a moment of prayer and thank him for it. What he's given to us. Lord, we thank you today that we can we can uh, return what you give us. We know that you only give it to us uh, on loan. It's not ours, it's yours. And we just need to know that we can give a, a first fruits and a portion of that back to you uh, when we have the opportunities to further your word, both here and in other places. And we thank you for the ability to be able to do that. And ask your blessing upon that. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, our announcements are pretty straightforward. Um, do you have the final word about the teen Sunday? Or? Yeah, starting next Sunday. Yep, yeah, okay. I thought that was. 
And then uh, the other thing to maybe highlight is uh, getting ready for the general meeting. And uh, people who need to make reports and so on know who they are. And just to pray about that and our leaders as we face these these uh, interesting uh, events that's carrying on in our, in our world. Um, is there anything else? Any other announcements? Okay, Pastor Glenn. So another historic event. This will be the last trivia question that we will have as well. I hope you kind of explain a bit about the back as we as elders have been kind of evaluating some of our church ministries and so on and, and uh, what's going on, what we can do to make it better. And seeing as Bible Blast is suspended for a time, what we can do to help our kids, more stuff during the worship service maybe, to, to help teach our kids because we can't have Bible Blast. But what we're going to do is I'll include another bulletin insert, which will be kind of a, a bunch of questions for the kids that you'll have to listen to the sermon to get the answer. And uh, so we'll kind of, I'm not sure exactly how we'll do the reward system yet, but uh, if you get 10 out of 10, that's awesome. If you get 5 out of 10, there'll be some easier ones for the younger kids. There'll be some harder questions for the older kids, and they'll all be together. And uh, yeah, so hopefully that'll just help encourage uh, all of the kids and teens to be listen to the sermon and learn what God has for you uh, from the sermons as well. So that's what's coming up. So this will be the last trivia question. So better make it good, kids. I hope you listen. Question is, what was the name of Joseph's oldest son? What was the name of Joseph's oldest son? <laughs>